Hey, Chris, have you seen the news? Pragmatic Institute now offers in-person, live online, and on-demand training. Really? That's awesome, because I really struggle with online learning. I just get so distracted. Going in person would be great. And I love online classes. It works great with my schedule, and I don't have to leave the house. You know who's going to love the on-demand courses? Sam. Sam does have the craziest schedule. On-demand is the only way they could take the course. Seriously? So when will all these training options be available? They're available now. You can register for Pragmatic's product courses now. Perfect. I'm going to tell the boss. She's going to love this. Hey, wait for me. This was my news. Pragmatic Institute now offers in-person, live online, and on-demand courses for however you prefer to learn. Pragmaticinstitute.com slash buy. Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Live podcast series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Caligeris, Vice President of Marketing and Product at Pragmatic Institute, and your host for this episode. I am extremely excited today to have with us Lydie Klotz, professor at the University of Virginia and author of Subtract, a book that I devoured quite quickly uh, and have really enjoyed. So welcome, Lydie. Thanks, Rebecca. It's great to be here. All right, Lady, tell us a little bit. Well, first, let's start, give some context to the audience and tell us a little bit about you and your background uh, and how you got to be a professor today. Yeah, I'm an engineer by training, um, so um, civil engineering and big things. Uh, and uh, I did that as an undergraduate um, and eventually did my graduate studies in um kind of designed for sustainability, uh, kind of broadly defined, and uh, and became interested over time. I've now been a professor for about 13 years, uh, more and more in kind of the decision-making that goes into design, so less about the, the physical stuff that we make and, and much more about the thought processes that go into what makes us design things the way we do. And, uh, and that's where the book comes from um, is kind of a line of research that looks at, okay, when we're making these design decisions, you know, design, design defined here as anytime we're changing something from how it is to how we want it to be. Um, and so this applies, whether it's a, a building or a, you know, a piece of software or your, your calendar, whenever we're changing something from how it is to how we want it to be, um, what's kind of our, our first, thought about how to change it. And so we, we, we studied that a lot with the hypothesis being that it seems like we tend to add way more often than we take away. And, uh, you know, after tens of thousands of hours of study, that's indeed what we, what we found. And so that's kind of the, the jumping off point for the book. Um, and, you know, talking about the reasons for that, plus the, um, ways to resolve it and uh, and what it means for all different kinds of designers and um, including the ones that, that you work with. Yeah. So one of the things I think you do a great, you do a great job of telling stories throughout, but you talk about the idea is that we, again, we, we tend to add versus take away when we think about how you make things better. 
And one of the examples you talk about is your kid in a Lego. Uh, and one of the things that sort of really, really made this, this thought process come together. Can you, can you share that story with the listeners? I'd love to. Yeah. And I mean, this is, you couldn't make up a better story. It turns out uh, from how closely it ended up mirroring the the research thought process that we found. So my son and I, he was three at the time and we were building with his Duplo blocks, like those big Legos. Um, and we were building a bridge basically. And the bridge wasn't level. So one of the support columns was shorter than the other support column. Um, I tried to fix this situation. Again, design being this act of taking things from how they are, you know, so the unlevel bridge to how I wanted it to be, which was a level bridge. I tried to do that by adding a block to the shorter column. Um, but by the time I had turned around to bring the block to the bridge, uh, Ezra, my son, had removed a block from the longer column. And um, I had always been interested in kind of minimalist designs. Uh, and But I'd always been focused on the end state, you know, so like, what is it about this kind of subtractive design? What is it about this iPhone that makes it so cool? But what Ezra showed me in that moment was what I was really interested in was the action. So the act of, of taking something away. And also um, the, the thought process that was happening there. So what happened to me in that moment, right? If Ezra wasn't there, I only thought of adding and I would have just added a block to the shorter column and moved on and never thought twice about it. And that turns out to be what, what we tend to do when we're, we're presented with these situations, whether it's Legos or grids on a computer screen or travel itineraries, or, you know, we didn't study this, but I would guess lines of code. Um, well, I, we didn't study lines of code, but we did study lines of text writing. When people are asked to make this thing better, they first think about, what, what to add to it. And oftentimes we'll add and move on without even considering a superior subtractive solution. Well, and you uh, and your team recreated that study, right? Yeah, we, um, we used Ezra's Duplos, which he's still, he's six now and he keeps asking me when he's getting them back. He plays <laughs> with small Legos. But uh, so I'm like, why do you want those back? But uh we, we didn't use the exact bridge. We, we created another one that was even more, because um, the bridge you can argue that, okay, the additive solution is just as good as a subtractive one. And when we got to our studies, we wanted solutions where the subtractive solution was inarguably better. And so we created a version with Legos where basically you could solve the problem by removing one block or by adding eight blocks. Oh, and, wow. and people you know went to the, eight block solution because they overlooked subtraction. And so when they did that and we were telling people, hey, do this with the fewest blocks possible, we even incentivized them and said, you know, if you, we gave everybody a dollar to start the experiment and you lost 10 cents out of that dollar for every block that you added. So if you did the subtractive solution, you kept the full dollar. If you did the eight block addition, you only got 20 cents. Um, and people overlook subtraction in that 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 lego version um we did you know we had people making recipes we had people changing travel itineraries there's a travel itinerary to washington dc that we created when we were you know we we're like how can we get people to subtract well let's just create something that's like so ridiculous that people will have to subtract and so this travel itinerary it was i think it was 10 in the morning till uh 
till eight at night or maybe 12 in the morning till 10 at night. But it was, it was a long day and they went to like five different um, memorials and five different museums, plus eating, plus travel time. And that was what was pre-programmed into the itinerary. And we said, okay, make this itinerary better. And people still overwhelmingly added to it on this oh, drag wow. and drop interface where it was really easy to kind of pull stuff out and give yourself more time at certain uh, certain places. So again, just the same kind of tendency to only think about, okay, what, what can I add? Um, and then the most convincing demonstration in my mind was uh, we created these random blocks on a computer screen because you know, the argument with Legos could be, hey, well, of course you added with Legos. That's what you've been doing your whole life. You're trained mm. to do that. And then I could argue back, well, why, why is it that we add with Legos, right? Maybe that's evidence of the same thing. But anyway, the, all of the other paradigms kind of had this argument that, well, that's just that paradigm. But the grids on a computer screen were, it's a new thing. Nobody had had any experience with adding and subtracting from these grid patterns. And we made these patterns. So people were, were asked to make them symmetrical from left to right and top to bottom. And so the patterns basically had four quadrants. And what we did is put extraneous marks in one of the quadrants. And so you could either add blocks to three of the quadrants, you know, make marks in three of the quadrants to make it symmetrical, or you could subtract blocks from the one quadrant. So again, the easier way to do it. Uh, also, we didn't tell them to do it in the fewest clicks possible. And again, people overlooked the subtractive option. So we, we found it across, we, we tried to study it across three different contexts. So ideas, um, objects like the Legos and, and situations like the travel itinerary. And <clears throat> that's this default to adding was present in all of the all of the cases. You know, it was, it was so interesting reading this because I thought, I've never thought about that. And yet you could <laughs> see all of the instances in your life where that's true. And I, I mean, I think for our audience, when we are building product, we're building particularly software. I think we tend to be like, what can we add to make it better? If someone, if customer service, you get a call and it's not, you know, you're just naturally thinking, what can I add? What other features would do it? And it's such an instinctive piece. And then you think about the examples you mentioned Apple. I mean, I think Apple's hardware in particular is a good example of what could they take away and still mm -hmm. and make, actually make it more intuitive, right? If you right. look at the little remote for your Apple TV versus your 50 button remote <laughs> for your Cox cable, uh, the well, it seems almost so little, but it actually becomes more intuitive. So, I mean, I can see this thing uh, in all sorts of aspects, but I think the next natural question is why? Why do you think we have this natural inclination to look at addition uh, as the way of improvement over subtraction? Yeah, and the, the second and third chapters of the book, I spend a lot of time talking about it and, and the fourth chapter too, actually. And I, I think there's, you know, start with biological reasons, right? And just this things that have basically historically helped us passed down our genes, right? So that this desire to acquire food, for example, you know, we, we need more and more and more of that. Um, we want to stockpile food that's been historically an evolutionary helpful behavior um, in that it, it helps us pass down our genes to future generations. So, you know, that could be one area or, you know, one 
activity that kind of spills over into our thought processes after doing that over and over and over again that makes us more likely to think of adding as our first instinct. Um, another one that's uh, relevant and biological is this just innate desire to display competence. Um, and so this need to show that we can effectively interact with our world. Um, and it's, I was surprised how kind of biological that is. Um, so, you know, a classic example is bowerbirds building their nests. Um, and these are, they, the male bowerbirds build ceremonial nests. And then the female bowerbirds go around, decide who to mate with based on the ceremonial nests. And then the female bowerbirds go build a nest to actually raise the children in. And so the ceremonial nests don't do anything in terms of providing shelter. Their whole function is to show that the male who created this nest is effective at, at interacting with the world. And we all kind of share this desire to, to effectively interact with the world and to, to show it. Um, and this is, you know, one reason for that is because you feel helpless, right? If you don't feel in control of your um, your surroundings, at least to some degree, it can be very uh, make you feel very helpless. And so it's this basic human desire that kind of lends itself to adding, right? Because it's a lot easier to show competence in the in the lines of code that you add. <laughs> if you take the lines of code away, um, there's not necessarily a reminder that hey, you know, Rebecca was here and subtracted these lines of code to make this thing actually better. Now, I think, you know, knowing that we can think of ways to um, kind of subtract and show competence by doing so, but those are some of the, the biological reasons. I also think just um, culturally and historically, we just encountered a lot of situations, you know, throughout human history where adding is the better solution. Uh, when there's no city built yet, when there's no, um, no code at all written, you know, the adding is the only option to, to make these things to improve that situation. Uh, and now we've gotten to more and more situations, whether it's, you know, cluttered code or a overcrowded city or, um, you know, too much stuff in my kid's room that I'm uh, podcasting to you from, uh, where there's just more opportunity because we've already added so much to take things away to make things better. Um, and But we've got a long history of that not being the case. And so all of those things are, are reasons why adding could be our our first instinct. But I mean, we don't need to dwell on that too much because it's not as you've pointed out, right? People do subtract code. People do subtract features from the remote. So it's not like it's impossible to, to do better. It just happens to be our first instinct. And so knowing about it's really helpful, but it doesn't need to be, um, doesn't need to be impossible to overcome it. And I think that that, I mean, and I also think we're not saying never add, right? It's exactly. just don't, don't yeah. forget to think about subtraction as a viable option. Perfect. Yeah. Um, Thank you right? so much for bringing that up. Yeah. I mean, that, that binary thinking is a huge obstacle to subtracting. So many of these talk, these conversations, I'll go through the whole thing. And then like, there'll be a question at the end, like, well, what about this situation? Isn't it better to add here? And it's like, of course, of course. <laughs> the point is not that subtracting is always better. It's just that we, we need both of these basic options at our disposal as we're trying to make things better. And the muscle for addition is, is strong in most of us. Yeah. And the muscle and, to think of we have to we have to build it up 
Yeah, and a perfect example from our research, you know, we, I talked about those grid patterns, for example, and we would give people a simple reminder that, hey, you can add or subtract to solve this grid pattern. And, and the reason we did that was to show that they weren't thinking about subtraction already or to see if they weren't thinking about it. So when we gave them the reminder, they were more likely to subtract. And you're like, okay, well, big deal. And you give people a reminder, of course, they're more likely to do something. <laughs> but the reminder didn't make them more likely to add. Um, so as you hmm. said, that, that muscle's already being worked. It's, you know, we're, we're tapped out in our adding potential and the subtracting is where there's kind of a, an opportunity to, to find options that we've been missing. So, I mean, I think that's a, a great point too. So you talk about a prompt, what else can our listeners do to help build up this? Don't forget to subtract uh, muscle. Yeah. The prompts are really, uh, it's more than just the prompt though, because, um, and I think, you know, hopefully my book does a good job of rearranging people's mental furniture so that they can think about subtracting across different contexts. But the, what we found in our experiments was that like that reminder on the grids didn't necessarily carry over to some other context, right? So the, the prompts need to be really close to where you're making the decision. Um, and uh, so I guess the, the takeaway from that insight is that when we're thinking about subtraction, like right now, or maybe after you listen to this podcast, you could think about, okay, what are all the ways that I change things in my life um, or in my job? Um, and so it's like, okay, when I'm writing code, I'm, I'm changing things. So how can I give myself a reminder when I'm writing code to also think about subtracting or when I'm, you know, planning out my list for the week, how can I, um, how can I give myself a reminder to, to subtract when I'm planning my list? So that would be, you know, in addition to to do's when I'm setting up my weekly calendar, I also force myself to think of stop doings. And that's not just things I'll say no to, but things I will actually stop doing as in I was going to do them. I did them the last week. They're on my calendar to do, and I'm not going to do them. Um, and that's an example of kind of queuing subtraction in your calendar. So, so the cues are really helpful, but you've, you've got to think a little bit more than just, okay, have a cue. You've got to think about how can I make the cue really um, present when I'm making the decision. Uh, some other things that our experiments suggest would be helpful are um, increasing your, uh, increasing the attention you have to devote to the decision. So another thing that we did in our experiments to try to, sh to show that people were, were overlooking this was put people under cognitive load. And so the, the idea being that when you're distracted, so it's the equivalent of texting when driving or when you're thinking about something else, you're even more likely to just go with the flow, the default option of what you would normally do. And we saw that that default option is adding. And so sure enough, when we you know, kind of overloaded people cognitively, we had this thing where we would put a scroll of numbers across the bottom of a computer screen and they'd have to push an F whenever a five came by. So they're focusing on two things at once. When they had to do that, they're even more likely to add in the grids. And so what that means for us, you know, obviously don't look at scrolling numbers on your computer screen, but also if you're, if you're doing a task that you want to have more of your options for, then don't uh, try to reduce the distractions. Um, and that's, that's kind of hard because um, we also tend to add with information and with our ideas. So our first instinct to try to make our mental models better or try to learn more or try to, you know, make use of some 
free time we might have in our job or in our days is, hey, what can we add? What can we add mm. to our information stores? But what you're doing when you do that is overloading yourself cognitively and makes you less likely to actually subtract things. Um, so there's a little bit of a catch 22 there. Um, but I think, you know, again, adding is, is great. I mean, you can get a ton of information from podcasts and from other things, but also are you thinking about, do you, have you set aside time to kind of not inundate yourself with cognitive load? And that might help you kind of think of some of these breakthrough subtractions. And then the last thing that we found from our experiments real quick is, is repetition. So the more, when we had people do the grids, for example, five times, often by the fifth time, they would come across the subtractive solution. And when they did that, they would be like, oh, of course, this is great. This is so much better. Um, and so if you have the time to do repetitions in you know, the, the, some of these high stakes design contexts, um, that, that might be more likely to bring about a subtraction that you may have otherwise overlooked and moved on before you even considered it. It's so true. It's like any muscle, right? You get stronger at it, but it also is sometimes... Uh, so I just moved across country. We were just talking about this. Uh, yeah. And I, I, so at the start of the pandemic, I threw out a ton of stuff, <laughs> getting ready to pack, unpacking. I still threw out stuff, right? Like every single, you're kind of, you're going through and be like, I still don't, I, you know, I don't need this right there. So there's mm -hmm. that what's not needed thing. And you do tend to, not only do you get stronger because you keep doing that muscle and realizing it was okay. Right. Like I think, I think horrible right. happened. But you also right. tend to see more opportunities because you, you cleared out some of the noise and you went, oh, but look, there still is noise there, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. it's powerful. Yeah, yeah, that, that um, it ties back in, we were talking about competence before and like noticeableness, right? So I, I mentioned that if you subtract a line of code, then nobody notices that Rebecca has done that, but, but you notice. And, <laughs> um, and the more code you subtract, the more likely it is that someone else notices or like, Hey, what's different about this? You know, the, the, this it's stripped down. There's something they might not even know why it's different, but they'll know it's different. One of the examples I use in the book is um, Bruce Springsteen. Uh, he's one of my favorite artists and he's got a darkness on the edge of town is one of his most kind of critically acclaimed albums. And it was quite different than the albums he had released up to that that point and it had just far fewer words fewer songs sparser uh sparser lyrics sparser more sparse instrumentals and uh and it was different and so he subtracted and was able to to show competence through that subtracting and i think that you know the more you do it the more likely you can get to that kind of displaying competence through subtracting i mean apple's a great example of that too i didn't use it in the book because it gets used so much yeah, but it uh, does <laughs> but, but it's, it's true, true right? <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, that's like the noticeable thing about what they do. And it's uh, so so it is possible to subtract and, and show competence that way. Absolutely. And I actually thought the cognitive load one was really interesting too. So my dad was a, a, a programmer for a long time. Uh, okay. And when he got stuck, he would go play the piano. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Just kind of turn like... it off. And in that, that, that space, you know, he found the answer. Right. Yeah. And you can't just play piano all the time, oh. <laughs> but as a, right? Otherwise you'd be terrible at coding, but like right. as a, as a mixture, um, and there's, you know, great examples of that all across the creativity research of, you know, Stanford professors going to walk around the hills of Palo Alto, you know, in their afternoon and they come across great insights then, but it's, it's of course balanced with these right. tremendous periods of 
of effortful information gathering, but it's, yeah, perfect example of how kind of reducing that cognitive load can lead you to think of things that you wouldn't otherwise. Absolutely. So I have to say again, super enjoyed the book. Uh, so I, I have a wonderful team of marketing and product people and read the book and like immediately was like, all right, guys, I want us to challenge ourselves to think about where we could subtract from what we're doing in order to, to provide a more additive experience or a more additive um, where we think we'll actually end up with stronger results because we took things away. Everyone's first instinct was to look at their, and you, you touched on this earlier, right? Was to look at their to-do list of things yeah. they haven't done and uh -huh. say, yes, I will not do those things. And I'm like, well, that's, that's, that's a good conversation as well. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, but it's not the same as look at your calendar last week. What meetings did you have that you don't maybe necessarily always have to have? right? Like yeah. you can cancel and do on demand or what uh, on the marketing side, like what communication to our clients is maybe adding more noise and it is providing solutions. And if we took some of that out, would they see the help differently, right? Mm -hmm. Those kind of things that the first one, turning off meetings isn't really, it's not super hard work, right? right. <laughs> uh, but the other, like the changing the way your campaigns move, it takes effort to subtract. Right. It's not a it's not a laziness and I'm not going to do it. You'd have to go in and change things around actively in order for there to be less at the end. Uh, and I think you give a lot of examples in the book. Subtraction, again, it's not it's not just not doing things. It's not like, like you sometimes have to put very conscious effort and investment in to making that subtraction happen. Yeah, that's also beautiful. I'm not available, but my uh, uh, <laughs> liaison Rebecca will speak on my behalf. Um, but yeah, because that's like, that's the problem, right? It seems like such an obvious thing. Of course, subtract. Like, why wouldn't we think of that? And okay, now Lydie's told us that we overlook it and I'm not going to overlook it anymore. But, you know, when we, as long as we think it's easy, um, I think that's part of the reason we've overlooked it for so long is it's like, oh, this is just like going to happen. And yes, there are versions of less that involve not doing anything, but those aren't the versions of less that you want to give to your client or that make the world mm -hmm. a better place. Those are just, hey, I didn't do this thing, <laughs> um, <laughs> which again, you know, sometimes that that might be the right thing to do. But um, saying my... My favorite story about this is from my friend, Ben, who's another co-author on the research. And we were like two years into the research together. And he said, hey, I'm taking our research to heart. I told my boss I wasn't going to be on a committee that he wanted me to be on. And I said the same thing you said to your uh, employees, which is, that's great, Ben, but you didn't actually subtract anything. To subtract, you have to do the active work of you know taking something away that you are already doing. Um, and so subtracting would be not going to your weekly faculty meeting um, that you've been going to for the last 50 weeks. And the, you know, to resolve some of these problems we have, that's the only way to do it. Um, one of the examples I talk about in the book, the, the Army War College has this fantastic report where they they documented how army officers were spending their time. And it's really cool because um, the, you know, from a research standpoint, it's really cool because the army officers, you know, each activity, it's like this thing takes two hours and it has to take two hours. So it's very regimented what they're doing. And they had all these requirements of things that they were supposed to do. And when you added up the time of all the things that they were supposed to do, it was literally more time than the amount of time they had in a year to, to work. And so it's so obvious the only solution there is to take 
stuff away. That's the only way to relieve that problem. You've got to stop doing some of the stuff that you're doing. And um, the report, uh, I mean, I think, you know, I'm sure the they figured out some way to resolve it. But the main recommendation of the report was to exercise restraint in the propagation of requirements. So basically don't add any more stuff. It's like, yeah, but we're already overloaded. How are we solving this yeah. overloaded problem? And that, you know, the tragedy in that, I mean, not a literal tragedy, but um, uh, emotional tragedy is that these army officers are being forced to cut corners. Um, and that was the only way to get through the, everything that was expected of them. And here's these like arguably the most upstanding people in terms of like right. following orders and doing what's told of, you know, doing what their duty is. And now they're being put in this situation by their employer that they have to think about how to cheat. Um, and I think all of us are, you know, if we aren't careful, can subject the people we work with to that mm -hmm. same thing if we don't allow subtracting. But I think, uh, yeah, I mean, you either find ways or you find ways to cut corner or not to do it as well as you could. And that's also not as satisfying. I was actually just having right. this conversation with another one of my employees and and we were talking about like we're our own, there's certainly things that I put on their plate where I'm like, where do you think they're going to put that, Rebecca? But, you know, you're just enthusiastic <laughs> and off you go. Uh, right. But we also do it to ourselves. Right. Mm -hmm. Where you're just like, but it's such a good idea. And right. I think it'd be so great if we did it. I remember at one point with my aunt, uh, she had this enormous teacup collection, enormous <laughs> hundreds. Like, that's fine. And if you want to buy another one, you just have to pick which one you're going to get rid of. Yeah, that's great. And, <laughs> and that's a rules like that are really helpful, too. In addition to the cues, um, uh, the I heard of one that the you know, another area that this happens is just in red tape, right? Red tape in organizations where it's like, okay, you know, five people have to sign off for so-and-so oh, yeah. to, you know, take a vacation day. And then all <laughs> of a sudden you're spending all your time signing stuff off. And, uh, and it happens in all forms of government too. And so British Columbia, to address this issue, they, when people came with a new piece of legislation, they also had to come with two things that were already on the books that they wanted people to take away. So it was even better than the teacup thing. It actually relieved the the burden. And you get um, two for one. That's great. Yeah, two for one. Yeah, and um, and you know those subtractions make things better too because now it's uh, some some rule that you don't have to pull that wasn't beneficial in the first place, and now it's not like distracting from more important rules and distracting like enforcement from more important rules. So um, that can work in organizations too. Well, and you think about some of the the rules that you set up. You know, look when 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 commonwealths were founded, the needs were very different. But the same exactly. thing's true with a company, right? When you're a startup, the rules are super different than they are when you're a mature company and all those spaces in between teams too. And mm -hmm. so where it may make sense when you're small and there's five of you and you're trying to get things out that everybody signs off on everything, obviously that's not scalable, right? And that's kind of a silly example. But there are lots of things like that where you look at, yeah, that was in place before because it made sense. What right. can, can we trim that there? Yeah, exactly. And I, I mean, again, it's like the larger company has need for different rules probably than the smaller company did. So you've got to add some rules too. But the problem becomes when when you only add, right? When you only think about adding or not adding, I guess, but um, but not thinking about, okay, how do we take away from, from what's there that's holding us back? And then you get these bloated uh, <laughs> bloated requirements that aren't aren't serving anyone very well. Yeah. You shared several of the great stories that are in the book, but you do have some amazing examples of the power of subtraction. And so I would love it if you shared one more, maybe one of your favorite ones uh, okay. that show an example of where it's just really powerful. 
Uh, I love um, Maya Lin. So uh, mm-hmm. for those who aren't familiar, she's uh, she one of her most famous designs is the Vietnam Veterans Memorial. And if you've ever been to the mall in Washington, D.C., it's just striking. Um, and what I like about it is, I mean, it's a it's a beautiful design. It's subtractive in that it's cut into the earth um, and, you know, just this polished slab of, of black granite. Uh, and we also know it's subtractive because, you know, Myelin's on record as saying how she thought of this thing. And she's like, I viewed it as a, as a cut into the earth. Mm. Um, but it's also like, it's stunning in this arena of large objects, right? So you're on the mall in Washington, DC, you're competing with the Washington Monument, the Lincoln Memorial, all these things that are like big and bold. And, you know, the memorial stands out by contrast. So it's a beautiful example of, of kind of noticeable less. Uh, so subtracting to show to be even more powerful. Um, and it's a nice example of adding and subtracting. So one of the mm. really nice things I think about her memorial is that, um, yes, it's like cut into the earth and it's understated, but it's it has the names of every um, American who lost their lives fighting in that in that conflict. And um, that's something that's not necessarily on the other. So she she thought about adding as a way to kind of improve the monuments, but she also used subtraction to her advantage. So that's one of my favorite uh, physical examples. I would say that the, um, and then on the kind of writing that as it ties into coding, I mean, there's just these whole host of people who over time have talked about, um, stripping things away to make them better, you know, from Leonardo da Vinci to, mm. you know, famous writers to, to Strunk and White. I mean, Strunk and White there, you had to read their book in high school and in college and their core advice is omit needless words. And, um, and then that even goes all the way back to, to Lao Tzu who talks about this um, in the context of our, our learning and our wisdom. And, and he's um, two and a half millennia ago, he said to, to gain knowledge, add things every day, to gain wisdom, subtract things every day. So I love those just as like reminders and cues for our thinking and for our writing and for our creative work. But I also think they're great evidence of the fact that, hey, we're still overlooking this, right? Because Lao Tzu said this two and a half millennia ago, which suggests people were overlooking it then. And his advice still rings true today. I mean, we don't have a an equivalent reminder to, hey, add stuff every day if you want to be wise. Um, but the we need the subtractive reminder. So it's also evidence of the fact that we're we're overlooking it. It's one of those lessons we have to keep learning, right? Yes. We all have some of those and you think, I, I know this lesson and yet I must learn it again. Um, <laughs> yep. Two examples for me, I loved every example in your book. I won't bring those up, but one for me along with the, the Vietnam Memorial Wall is actually the 9-11 Memorial. Mm, yeah. It's very, for very similar reasons that you talked about, right? All of these big skyscrapers and there's just, there is a a void, right? And it, and that void is, it's powerful. Uh, And you can see that it was certainly influenced by the wall with the names and pieces, but it's, it's truly powerful uh, in what they didn't put there. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on a, on a completely different note, uh, I was at a Q and a with Seth Godin. Okay. And yeah. who's the, if you know who that is, but like a, yeah. a big marketer and I have never, ever, ever seen anybody handle Q and a like he does because what does he, he do? got, he, he just answers the question. 
And then he stops. Right. And, and he, he answers the question. And he moves on to the next question. So we had this like volleyball microphone and you could pass around so he could answer a bunch of questions. And I was like, why is this so powerful? Like what? Uh-huh. And I thought about it. And two things. One is I think often we use like filler, why you think of the answer and he didn't need to do that. Right. And then again, that sort of idea of I'm showing my competence with this really long answer, but instead he could just like give you the answer and you were like, Oh, right. Okay. And it was, and that is when I realized, Oh man, I don't do Q and A right. Tune in for the three minute version of the podcast next. <laughs> well, it's perfect. Right. Because it, you know, the one thing he wants you to remember is there you know, and there's not all this filler around it, like you said. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Speaking of bringing things and things to remember, uh, if you were going to have everyone who's listened to us today, right, uh, do two things differently tomorrow, what would they be? Stop overlooking subtraction and cue yourself, you know, think of where you can place cues to help yourself do that. Lady. This was super fun. The book was really fun. The book again is called Subtract. It's Lighty Klotz, K-L-O-T-Z. And you can buy that book anywhere that you buy books. Um, and it really is a fantastic read and has really had me re-examine stuff. So I, I appreciate the time and I appreciate the thoughtfulness that you have on this topic. Thanks, Rebecca. I likewise appreciate your thoughtful questions. And I will be using the Vietnam or the um the 9-11 Memorial in, in future interviews. So I appreciate the, the example there. That does it for today's episode. Thanks everyone for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career. <laughs>